For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. To No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back to recap the Super Bowl. It wasn't the most entertaining game of all time, but there were certainly a lot of takeaways, some of which the three of us have found have to do with the Titans. So we will be getting into all of that today. We're also going to talk a little bit about the situation surrounding uh, Carson Wentz at quarterback, who he will end up with, it looks like right now, either the Colts or the Bears. So we're going to talk about that, and then, of course, we will end our episode with Stop the Nonsense. Guys, before we get into our what this game taught us about the Titans, because I think we want to have a big conversation about that. I certainly do. Thoughts on the Super Bowl itself and what it meant for uh, the two teams that played? Absolutely sucked. I thought it was an awful game, honestly. I, I did not enjoy watching it, really. I There wasn't there weren't too many redeeming things about it. I did like the halftime show. The weekend kind of killed it, so that was cool. But in terms of the actual game, like it was domination the entire game. The Chiefs couldn't pass protect. Mahomes was running for his life the entire game. Uh, They were playing very conservative on offense because of that pass protection being so bad. Uh, And then on defense, they were just, they were holding, they they were committing too many dumb penalties, uh, even though some of the penalty calls were questionable. Uh, But I don't think they really affected the outcome of the game because they just couldn't really stop the Bucs when they needed to. And they couldn't get anything going on offense. Uh, Congrats to the Buccaneers. I mean, they totally deserved it. They were really good in the playoffs. Uh, their defense really came to play when they needed it most. Uh, and it, it just always seems like a wild card team pretty much every season just kind of catches fire uh, because they get to play that extra game. They just get into a rhythm and then they end up making the Super Bowl. Sometimes they win, sometimes they lose. Uh, but it does seem like that ha- that does happen pretty often. And uh, pretty amazing Brady won it at 43 years old, uh, although – I mean, everyone's gonna praise him for because he's the MVP of the Super Bowl. He, he probably was it, but he was fine. He played well and, and uh, he deserved it. Yeah, it's. I mean, I I was not expecting it personally. Uh, it was it was cool to see somebody win in an unexpected way and for defense to actually matter in a championship game like that. That was nice to see. I, I don't know. 
how long that'll last. But once every two or three years, it's good to kind of change everything up. Uh, Y'all will probably notice my voice is uh, a little bit gone. So uh, bear with me. But uh, I don't know. Like, I, I thought it was very interesting. I think it's the first quote unquote superstar team that we've seen put together in the offseason that's actually worked. And I wonder if that has any effect on an NFL that's slowly switching towards being more NBA oriented with the player focus and the trades, which I love, by the way, like more player movement, the better. But yeah, I just uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's another quote unquote super team this offseason. So I will say this about Tom Brady. We might have talked about this on the podcast earlier this season, or maybe it was in the group chat. I, I do remember saying this to you guys. I think that, you know, you have this organization where they haven't been to the playoffs in many, many years, and the roster as a whole, save old Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown, is not terribly different this year than it was in years past. And you add Brady to the mix, and they go from no playoffs in over a decade to instant Super Bowl champs, and it wasn't even close at any point. Brady deserves a lot of credit for that. Now, statistically, Brady had a good season. Uh, if uh, some of his counterparts in the NFC had not played as well as they did, Brady would have been a Pro Bowler this year. He threw, what, 40 touchdowns? He had a, a really good year. And uh, But beyond that, he didn't do a whole lot in the playoffs. It was sort of similar to Tannehill when the Titans made their playoff run a couple years ago where really great in the regular season, and then when the playoffs came around – based on game flow and other things, it just wasn't his role anymore to be the savior. Uh, but, but Brady deserves credit nonetheless because of what he does culturally for a football team. I got to see that firsthand when the Patriots came out here to Nashville to practice in training camp in 2019 because I had watched you know Marcus Mariota for the last two years and then you know, you watch Tom Brady run an operation, and it's just a very stark difference where what I remember the most, and this might seem like a small thing, but it just showed how much Brady was in charge. They were doing a red zone drill where I don't even, there was, it was like, it was basically five on five, and there were some uh, reporters who were standing pretty close to the back of the end zone with their cameras. And Brady, about to take the snap, points at the reporters, and very respectfully, he's not yelling at him. He, he looks at the reporters, and he, he's like, hey, y'all, back it up. I don't want you to get hit. Back it up. And I'm thinking to myself, like, Marcus Mariota would have never done that. He would have never told a reporter to move. And this isn't a, a get on to Mariota. I think there are a lot of quarterbacks that wouldn't have done that. But but that moment was indicative of what I saw from Tom Brady that whole week. And what I think he has done in Tampa Bay is – he has created, and, and it's not a culture in the sense that he took them from a toxic culture to a winning culture. It is something about Tom Brady. When he is on your team, you win football games. And and there's something to be said about that. And and Brady also, uh, like he put up, like I said already, he put up a great statistical season. But I think what's so underrated about Tom Brady is I think I've said this before. I think Tom Brady is one of the most mobile quarterbacks in NFL history. I didn't say he's a running quarterback in terms of mobility within the pocket and avoiding the pass rush. I would argue that I don't I don't know that anyone has ever been quite as good as Brady is with that. He just has this unique and innate feel. 
So if you're trying to discredit Tom Brady for, from getting recognized as, as a hero in all of this, don't do that. You're, you're fooling yourself. Tom Brady had a lot to do with this. What also had a lot to do with this is that the Buccaneers' defense is just overwhelming in terms of its personnel. And we knew that going into this year. It's why I did preseason power rankings, and I put the Bucks at two, and everyone was like, "What do you? why are you doing that for? I'm like, guys, Brady's going to take care of his stuff. That defense, when you've got Devin White and Levante David and JPP and Shaq Barrett and Vita Vey and all these guys flying around out there, it's going to be tough for offenses to deal with them, and it was tough for offenses to deal with them. So Tampa Bay played a really, really good game. I saw a great tweet after the game that said every uh, Chiefs passing play was just pure chaos, and that's absolutely what it was. So kudos to the Buccaneers. They were the better team, and, and you know it's not every year that we get to the end of the season and say the best team in the NFL won the Super Bowl. Sometimes you know a, like, it's kind of fluky, a team gets hot. I think we can say the best team in the NFL won the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I think we have to give a lot of credit to their GM. Uh, is it Jason Licht? I think it is. Um, because he just he knocked it out of the park, especially this offseason. Uh, when they started out the draft with Tristan Wirfs and then Antoine Winfield in the first two rounds, I mean, that was incredible. Uh, I didn't think they were going to get Wirfs uh, at, at pick 13, 14, or whatever it was. Uh, that was surprising. And then getting Winfield, who's probably a first-round talent, uh, in the second round, that was huge for them. Uh, then they go out, they get Fournette, who we don't like, but he contributed a lot in the playoffs. Uh, they get Gronk, they get Antonio Brown. All these guys contributed very heavily throughout the season, and some of them were key, very key in the playoffs, and you just have to respect uh, their front offense for being able to get all these players and, and kind of get them all on the same page because we see this a lot of times. Uh, where these teams spend big or go out and get divisive personalities. And it just ends up being an absolute disaster. And just as as an organization as a whole, they just, they just killed it in terms of actually meshing together. And I do think we do have to give a lot of that credit to Brady. I hate it. I hate it because I hate, like, giving praise to a quarterback for a whole team winning – but it really does seem to just happen when he's on a team. They just win. And a lot of the times, that's just because he kind of gives you confidence. He kind of gives you – in soccer, it's kind of kind of like having an amazing goalkeeper uh, if you're on defense because you know if you mess up, he's going to cover your butt and he's going to make up for it. And there's just something about Tom Brady's aura that gives other players on his team confidence – and we saw it all season. Like, the Buccaneers were amazing trash talkers all season, and they ended up backing it up at the end. So kudos to them for, for being able to get it done. Uh, we'll see what happens next year, if they can keep this up. They probably can. Brady doesn't look like he's still slowing down. Uh, they don't really have too many impending free agents. Actually, they kind of do, but I do think they'll be able to, to keep the team together. Yeah, I mean, it, Brady looked good. I it is it is interesting just how when you look at the construction of that defense how much of it was split between free agents and the draft i think somebody was talking about it earlier when they said the draft is still the most cost effective and most efficient way to build a team but 
the great teams build part of their defense or part of their offense through free agency. And that's usually clear in the Super Bowl or when they make deep playoff runs. So, you know, free agency gets kind of a bad rap because you're basically telling other teams that you think your coaches are better and can get more out of the talent that they're letting go than they can. And I would say it's a 50 50 proposition at best. But, you know, when it works, when you get guys like Roger Saffold, when you get guys, that, you know, can like Rashard Matthews when he came, like uh, guys who can come in and make a difference uh, on either offense or defense, it's great. You know, the the culture-changing aspect of it is interesting just because, you know, it's so hard to quantify what a quarterback can do. We, we've seen that with Tannehill. Like, the whole offense is different. The defense has gotten – so much worse since he's taken over. I think part of that is because there's not that do or die mentality. And I said this as soon as he took over that it seemed like the pressure in the locker room shifted off of the defense and they've never been able to sort of put that on their back again and say, you know, we have to be the defining element of this team. And for better or worse, whether that's a motivation thing that the head coach should do a better job of or or what, they're just not that same bite and tenacity that there was with the 2018 teams and the 2017 teams. So, you know, it it is interesting to see the ripple effects that can happen when you have a good quarterback and you have an offense that functions well. More than anything, it was just not having Jameis throwing pick sixes all the time. Like, for for all the credit people want to give Brady, and I I understand, give Brady credit. He won a ring there in Tampa. Like, he he did – everything that they could have hoped for but i hope now is i hope now everybody looks back and says wow imagine if they had any other quarterback other than Jameis winston for the last three years and maybe this team would have been a 12-win team because they have so much talent i mean uh, luke and i especially i know have talked forever about how mike evans is one of the most underrated players in the nfl even among the people who think he's great like i, I mean I truly believe there was a two or three year stretch where he was the best receiver in the NFL and nobody was talking about him. So it's good to see those guys get shine, but yeah, like all, you know, I, I'm done trying to take away stuff from Tom Brady. Congratulations. You know, it, it was a great season for him. Let's shift guys into takeaways from this game for the Titans during the game. And I was texting you guys about this. The more I watched of this Buccaneers defense, and and really the whole team, but the defense in particular, the more I realized how far the Titans are away from being in that position. Let me qualify that with this, like I told Matias earlier. I think the Titans are capable, with their current setup, of beating any team on any given Sunday. This is not the Titans of old and by old, I mean even like as of 2018 where, you know, they go against a really good team and you're like, well, you can just chalk that one up as a loss. I, I think they're capable of handling anybody on any given Sunday. I think they're, they're good enough for that. However, I don't think they are near being able to do that four weeks in a row. I don't think they are near being able to, over the course of a four-week span, beat Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Tom Brady. It's not, it's not happening with their current setup. There are several reasons, I think, why that is the case, which we will get into momentarily. But on, on that point alone, 
did you guys share that feeling at all? I mean, even watching the Chiefs on on Sunday and how badly they were beaten by Tampa Bay, I'm just watching that thinking the Titans just aren't that good. I mean, they're they're good. They won 11 games. I feel like we have to qualify it with that, but you know, they're about they're about 15 the Titans are about 15 notches as a team ahead of someone like you know, a, 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 like Miami. Miami is in turn about 15 notches ahead of a team like Detroit. Well, then you have about 15 notches ahead of the Titans are the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. I think that's fair. I, and I probably, I, I mean, I felt that way when the AFC and NFC championship games happened. Like the Bills and Chiefs just seem better than the Titans. So do the Packers and the Buccaneers. They're just more cohesive teams. They, uh, they're good on both sides of the ball. And yeah, the Titans might be able to get there uh, this year, uh, next year, but this year they just weren't to that level. And I think another big difference, especially watching the Super Bowl, is just the coaching, man. Like these teams just have way better coaches, way better coaching staffs, and they just maximize the talent of their players. And as we saw this season, the Titans did not do that. In fact, they, I don't know what the opposite of maximize is, but they, their Minimize. players are risk. What what's up? Minimized. And they I said minimized. Shane Bowen. Sure. They <laughs> Shane Bowen. They Shane Bowen their own players. That's exactly what happened. But it's just like like you see the Buccaneers, like Sha- Shaq Barrett gets there, Todd Bowles turns him into one of the best pass rushers in the entire league. Uh same happens with them white, even though he's a top five pick, Levante David. Uh Tristan Wirfs comes in as a rookie and he's just killing it. Uh, Ronald Jones, his development has been really impressive. And it's just like, you look at the Titans, and, and who can we say any of that about? We we really can't say it about anyone. Maybe Corey Davis, but he always had that talent, and it really wasn't. It was more so injuries and a lack of volume. There just aren't those types of players where you can point to the coaching staff getting the best out of them. And I think that's like a crucial, p- crucial part of improving as a team and, and getting better and, and taking that next step to that to that Super Bowl tier of a team, a lot of it comes down to coaching. And right now, we can, we just can't say that the Titans coaching staff is on par with a team like the Buccaneers, the Chiefs, or even the Bills, or even the Packers, or even the Ravens, honestly, even though we beat them. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, I, I, just, I, I guess because, quickly, quickly, that's sorry. exactly what I'm saying, though, Matias. They can beat the Ravens one week. They're not going to do this four weeks in a row. Yeah, but rarely do you have to you know win four games in a row, and only one team in the league does that. So it's it's a hard thing to say. Like I I don't know. It's it's weird because they did beat the Ravens twice in a row. And then they lost to him after that. It's, I, I'm not. I'm not arguing. It sounds like I'm arguing against you on this. I, I agree because I think they need to get. I think they have clear holes, and I think, you know, obviously hiring Shane Bowen was the wrong decision, and it makes it even harder for this team because John Robinson has the impossible task of trying to make a defense so talented. Even Shane Bowen and Mike Vrabel can't mess it up, and we've seen 
Mike Vrabel and I, I guess Shane Bowen too, because he was on that Texans staff. We've seen them mess up a, a very good Texans defense. So, you know, it's it's difficult. I, at a certain point, you almost wonder if your money would be better spent just doubling down and trying to make sure your offense is as good as it can be. Because can you really bring in enough talent on defense to make it Shane Bowen proof? I I don't know. I, I, it's a legitimate question because even if you add a great rusher, there's no there's no way of knowing if he's going to play off-ball linebacker or if he's going to play slot corner. If you bring in a great corner, there's no way to know if he's going to play press or if he's going to play 10 yards off. You know, if you bring in a great linebacker, there's no way to know if Haslett's going to tell him to stand completely still on most plays and not read his keys and to be flat-footed. Like, it's it's very hard. I mean, you've got to have guys who can actively overcome coaching on a week-to-week basis. And at a certain point, it's almost like, you know, if, if you think this guy's the guy and you think Shane Bowen can do it, I hope he can do it with the guys he's got now because I'm not doubling down on your own mistake. I'm going to invest on what helps the team the most, which is offense. Another thing I learned from watching the Super Bowl, or perhaps realized, is how much we overrate Titans players. Because I'm watching Tyreek Hill and Levante David and Devin White and, and all these just blue chip players on both sides, quarterbacks aside, because the quarterbacks are unicorns. Those quarterbacks, there's never been anyone like either one of them. But I'm just looking around at the blue chip players, many of which were not drafted, right? The, the Chiefs with Frank Clark. The Chiefs didn't draft Frank Clark. They traded for Frank Clark. Uh, now, granted, Frank Clark played, right? I, I didn't notice him because they really didn't do anything. But Yeah, you know, I think he had a sack. Okay. But, you know, they traded for Frank Clark, and, and and the Buccaneers signed Antonio Brown as a free agent. Now, is that a move that any other team could have made? Probably not. But you get what I'm saying is is it's like they're not afraid to go after blue-chip players. And, and every year before the draft, we kind of sit there and look at the draft, and we're like, man, that guy was incredible in college, and he's just such a freak athlete. And it's like those are never the players that the Titans get. You know, and I think John Robinson's done a great job as general manager. I need to qualify all of this with that. But it does seem like there is a fear to go after just the freak athlete. And I'm not talking about the Obi Mellon Farm woos of the world who just are really good at the combine and stink at football. I'm talking about, you know, the Marshawn Lattimores of the world. These guys that, that test incredibly well and are good football. It just seems like the Titans, for whatever reason, don't want those guys. I mean, the only person like that that the Titans have is Derrick Henry. Now, they're lucky he happens to be one of the best of them in the entire league. But the Titans don't have that many blue-chip players. And as a result, we t- like we, we start to look at players like Daquan Jones. And, you know, it's week nine, and we're sitting here saying, man, Daquan Jones is a true impact player for the – no, he's not. Daquan Jones is an, is an slightly above-average interior defensive lineman who plays the run. And, and we look at Johnu Smith, and we're like, man, that guy's a game changer. No, he's not. You you watched two game changers at the tight end position on Sunday night, Rob Gronkowski and, and Travis Kelsey. Th- that's what a game changer looks like. Now, obviously, both of those are future Hall of Famers, but you, you get what I'm saying. It's that, for whatever reason, and, and, you know, we sat here last year and said, man, Rashawn Evans, that guy's a stud. He is a bullet. No, he's not. Did you watch Devin White, Levante David? 
That's what an off-ball linebacker is supposed to look like. A good one. We overrate Titans players. Yeah, we we got to do. Um, yeah, now that I'm looking back at the roster, it's just it doesn't seem all that great. But I mean, we won 11 games, so we we're doing something yeah, right. I, I, I don't agree. Like, I, I mean, if if we want to have this discussion, so let's talk about the draft. Um, so athletic players who are productive is kind of their bread and butter. Like, uh, they have. I mean, we've talked about the stigma they have for wide receivers who you know had two separate thousand yard uh, seasons. AJ Brown tested well enough. Like, he's a stud. Uh, Harold Landry was the sack leader in, I think it was 2016, and he came out in the next draft, and he also had a prolific three-cone drill, was super athletic. Like the, the problem is, is when you take a gamble on these freak players, that's great, but when they miss, they miss. And then everybody's like, well, you know, you did because Vic Beasley was that. Like Vic Beasley was a prolific guy, and then he was a sack leader in the NFL. He was athletic coming out. But I know you're talking about the draft. But my point is, no, no. Well, I have a problem. If you're, if what you're saying is that the Titans signing Vic Beasley was an argument in favor of them going after big time guys, it's not because Vic Beasley, the Titans knew that Vic Beasley sucked when they signed him. They thought they were going to fix it. Well, well Clowney, yeah, Clowney was, yeah. I mean. Clown, but that, that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just like there are great athletes in college. Well, first of all, very rarely do those guys make it to the 20s where the Titans pick now. Like the Bucks drafted eight last year. So, uh, and they've drafted highly in the past because they haven't gone to the playoffs and they didn't go the entire Jameis Winston era. Like, I think they had a top 10 pick when they drafted White too. Like, that, I mean, they. They draft high. Like the Jaguars also draft really athletic, great players in college because they draft so high. Like it's hard. Like I, I know your argument is more for why did they spend the fifth pick on Corey Davis? Because that's really the only time in the John Robinson era where they've had a pick that high and didn't, you know, nail it. Because Conklin is now a two time all pro and, you know, he's with the Browns and that, you know, but. That's a different story, but my point is it's it's easy to be the guy who says, I wish they would draft these guys after they've worked out, but in the moment, I mean, I'm glad they have Jeffrey Simmons. I'm glad they have A.J. Brown, so think, it's, 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 it's hard. You, like, I, I think you make a good point. I really do. Here's my counter to that, though. Go out this year in free agency and get the freak – not the disruptor. Gosh, I hate that word. Get a sack guy. Come on. I don't know why they're afraid of getting people who get sacks. Harold Landry was certainly an attempt at that. He's been all right. He hadn't gotten a whole lot of them. Go get a big sack guy. Like Don't get some dude that gets five sacks a year and then sit there in that press conference with the dumb look on your face trying to convince me that well, you know, sacks aren't as big of a deal as the media makes them out to be. And, well, he plays with great technique and effort. I don't care. I'm tired of hearing about technique and effort. Get good players. And and, and a lot of that is Vrabel, not Robinson. 
this nonsense about, you know, technique and effort as opposed, you know, I can have the best, te- you know, me. Let's take me. 5'8 white guy who's the slowest person you've ever met. I could go work with Terrell Williams, the Titans defensive line coach, and get the best technique and effort you've ever seen. I work day and night with Terrell Williams over the next three months. Day and night. I'm going to have pretty good technique at the end of that. I'm still going to suck. I'm still going to get manhandled by anyone that I win against. Stop telling me that that's what matters. And that sacks don't matter. That That is my problem here. It's there, there's too much on on what's above the neck for the Titans, and 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 it's at the detriment sometimes of what's below the neck. So you're a big proponent of signing Matt Jude onto twenty million dollars a year, huh? No, I bet it. <laughs> you're talking. You're talking about the draft, aren't you, Luke? Like, is that that's what that's your point, right? Is you want them to draft that guy? Oh, draft him. I mean, well, yeah. Go ahead. And now, I agree. There have I mean, been some. Well, Roger, Roger Saffold was one of those guys. Okay, there's one. Who's the other one in free agency? There's not one. Okay, who's the one in the draft? I mean, Derek Henry. All right, who's the other one? Oh, there's not really one. What are we that talking two. about? Just I think play. we're talking about Uber athletes. Well, yeah, things like Derrick Henry was not an Uber athlete. Like he was uh, notoriously yeah. John, not. John U, AJ Brown, Christian yeah. Fulton's a pretty good athlete. Kevin yeah. Byers a good athlete. Kevin I mean, they're athlete. A lot of them are on the team. Yeah, the like problem it, is, you yeah, know, no. I'm not going to get back to this, but the coaching, <laughs> coach, the coaching yeah. staff is bad. Yeah, it's, you'll keep. You know, Harold Landry did not test well for a slot corner. Will keeps asking but, me what point I'm trying to make. I don't really know. I don't know what point I'm trying to make. I'm just mad that the Titans don't have that many good football players, and I and, and I've got my little finger here, and I'm and it's going. Around, you can't see it, but it's going around in a circle, and I'm trying to pinpoint why that is, and and we're just yeah. gonna, you know. Well, I, I think there's a good argument that we need to have here, which is if that's what we want in the draft, we need to talk about that now because there's going to be narratives out there that we all hear from. You know, we're we're all in the off season now, all 32 teams, so. If, if that's your stance, you need to start looking at the draft through who are the guys who are the most productive and consistent pass rushers in football, not the upside guys, because that that needs to be a buzzword for you. Upside, projects, raw, like all, all that stuff needs to be red flags for you, and that, those need to be the guys you don't advocate for going forward. Like I, I, I think a problem that I have and that Titans fans in general have is – we are we get really mad about something in the moment, but by the time the draft gets around, we've kind of forgotten or lost that edge about why we were so mad. And then a year later, we're like, oh, yeah, that's right. We didn't have a great pass rush, and it turns out Jadavian Clowney can't rush the passer, and that was a giant mistake because we all expected Mike Vrabel to get more talent out of it. Like, well, that, we won't that make that mistake fun. ever again, expecting Mike yeah, Vrabel right. to get something out of somebody. Out of anybody, correct. So, I mean, Quiddy Pay, like you, you don't know these names really, but Quiddy, like you, who you need to be rooting for is any Miami Hurricanes player. That's, that's the draft you want is yes. Roche, Russo, or uh, Phillip. Like 
those are the three names at Edge that you should be all over. You know, let me say this. Will, you make the point, they're picking at 22. I don't know how many blue chip guys are going to be there at 22. You know what a solution to that is? Trade up. I wouldn't be opposed to that. Do something. It's time. Well, I mean, this is like a make-or-break offseason, isn't it? This last one, none of us really liked what moves were made, and it ended up... None of them worked. Yeah, and and we kind of knew they weren't going to work. Like, we, we were not fans of either the draft or the free agency. I mean, the draft wasn't all that bad. We just hated the first round pick and we knew they lit it on fire, which is exactly what happened. Right. Uh, but the free agency, man, that was, that was just weird. And it just seemed like the times didn't get all that much better last off season. It ended up being pretty true because they really weren't all that much better of a team this season, even though they won two more games. Uh, I don't know that they really didn't get all that much, all that much better, but this is a big off season. This is a big one because if they don't get the draft picks and they don't get a couple of free agency decisions, right. I'm not feeling good. I'm not feeling good because the way this season ended and the way this season went, I, I just no no trust in the coaching staff. I, I'm like, I know I keep saying it, but it's just, it just seems like it's the biggest liability uh on the roster right now well the best way i can describe it is when you look at the 11 and 5 record the titans have the 11 should go directly on arthur smith's resume and the five should go directly on shane bowen and mike Vrabel's. like the guy responsible for the wins is gone the guy responsible for the losses promoted the other guy responsible for the losses into a bigger position of power so that's the concerning element now is the system in place and is the roster talented enough and do they have a good enough idea of what they need to be to where there's some communication between Downing and Tannehill and Henry and that whole group that says, okay, this is what we do best. Let's keep doing it. That's, that's the theory. So, you know, let's hope that there's a big system in place that can help this team kind of move along. But I, I mean, defense, that's why I said earlier, I, I don't know that you can bring in enough talent on defense for it to make a difference. I mean, Robinson has to be thinking, how do I like what what's the best way to proceed? Do I give Bowen all these guys? Do I draft defensive line, you know, edges and defensive linemen with my first three picks in the draft? Like that, I mean, that's a real strategy. Like, do I give him the guy he's guys he wants? And then when that doesn't work, then I can usurp that role from Vrabel and say no I'm gonna hire the next defensive coordinator like I I don't know you know what other takeaway from the Super Bowl and and we had a conversation before we started recording where I sort of slandered Mike Vrabel a little bit I I, I don't think the future is terribly bright for this team And, and maybe that's just me being a little bit negative based on what I saw Sunday night from other teams. But we're sitting here talking about the defensive coaching is so bad that Robinson just needs to spend all of his draft on defensive players and maybe that'll be enough to make up for it. And how how poorly coached the Titans are in a lot of respects and, and Vrabel doesn't make very good choices. This is striking me as 
are we watching the beginning of the end of this regime of the Titans? Like, has it reached its peak and now it's just going to start tumbling downhill? Because I, I don't know that it's going to go any further than it already has. I hate to be doomsday, but that's the sense I get from all of this. Man, you sound like you sound like me after the shape and hire where I said that they're right. going eight and eight next season. Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I uh, and you know, I also don't feel all that great about the future. I do feel good that we at least have a big three on offense. Tannehill, Henry, and AJ Brown. Uh, they're all you know under contract for the next few years. Uh, they're all kind of in the prime of their careers. The offensive line is really good. So I'm expecting the offense to be very good for the foreseeable future, uh, unless Todd Downing sucks, which, man, that would that would be bad. That would be bad. But I, I think he'll be fine, and I think the offense will be very good for the foreseeable future, which which is huge in today's NFL. The, de- the defense is obviously uh, the biggest concern, and like we said, we, we do need blue-chip players uh, on that side of the ball, the good thing I, I like the I don't think the AFC is is amazing. Like the Bills are good and Josh Allen is good. Although I'm expecting a good amount of regression in terms of Josh Allen's level of play, I don't think he could sustain that. Yes, the Chiefs are going to be good forever. The Chargers, yes, they have Herbert, but they're still the Chargers. We don't know how they're going to do with a new head coach. Uh, the Colts don't have a quarterback. The Texans are a disaster. Uh, the Steelers are a disaster in and of themselves. Big Ben might retire soon. Uh, and then you have the Browns and the Ravens who are good, but we've proven to be on par with them. So I don't know. Like, I, I think the times will be fine, whether they make it even close to an AFC championship game again over the next few years. I don't think so, but you never know. You really never know in the NFL. And let me let me be the optimist here. Uh, two years ago, we didn't know if Derrick Henry was worth being a starting quarterback in the NFL. We thought Mariota was. Wait, hold up. Start over. You said something about Derrick Henry being a starting quarterback in the NFL. Oh, start, my fault. Uh, well, let me be the optimist here. <laughs> two, two years ago, we didn't know anything about uh, whether whether or not Derrick Henry would be able to be the starting running back because he'd split carries for his whole career. We didn't know uh, if Mariota was the guy of the future. Like the second lead, or maybe the leading receiver on the team at that point was Rashard Matthews. Like a lot happens in two years, so it, it's hard to try to project where we think we'll be in the NFL in the short-term future, much less the long-term. So, you know, Andrew Luck and Deshaun Watson would have a lot to say about what they thought about their futures a year ago. So a lot can change between now and then. And the good thing is, is we've seen the core of this roster that Matias talked about that's locked down. We've seen those guys perform well. So if for some reason Mike Frable gets let go this year, uh, you know, that that would that would be tough, but it would be the most appealing job on the market. And John Robinson would know exactly what he wants in an offensive mind because he basically hired Lafleur for Mike Vrabel the first time. And you know, I, I don't know. I, I think as long and this is you know maybe this is my personal bias because it's where 
the team really started to recover and move in the right direction. But as long as the team has Robinson in place, I think the rest can fall in line and it will be okay. He He's proven since he's been here that the floor for a John Robinson team is very high and he's willing to make those moves to get them into position to make the playoffs. Now he just needs to find somebody who can actually elevate his talent and, you know, take a good player that he drafts and turn him into a great player instead of taking a good player that he drafts and maybe hoping that they stay as good. I just don't know. I, and I, I'm an optimist in life and, and I, you know, let's look on the brighter side, but my gut is telling me that this is not headed in a good direction for the Titans and could be overreacting. Maybe I'm not. I didn't well, know you felt this way, honestly. Like, what, what's, your, what's your big concern? Let's have a therapy session right here. Like, are you concerned that the Titans will be 4-12 and 12 next year or that they may not win the Super Bowl? Let, let's do this. Let's take a 30-second break, and then I'll answer that question. So we're, we're going we're gonna to explain where the pessimism is coming from after this. Okay, we're, we're back from the break. Remind me what question I'm supposed to be answering as to the origin of my pessimism. So, uh, thinking over the break, I guess the best way to ask it is two things. One, what are you most concerned about on the roster, like whether it's talent or coaching or whatever? And when you say you're worried about this team's future, are you worried that they might become a bottom five team or that they won't be a top five team? I could see him going eight and eight. So, so that, so your concern is that they'll be average. Like you think there's enough talent on this. There's too. I mean, there's there's too much talent for them to just totally bottom out. That's not going to happen. Right. I don't. I I think we could see a very disappointing season from them this year. And Vrabel does not strike me as the kind of coach who would respond well to a disappointing season. It would feel it would kind of be like malarkey where it's like, well, we'll just run it back. Everything will be okay. And then John Robinson says, no, I'm not sitting here saying fire, fire anybody. Let's get that straight. I don't want you know people tweeting at me or thinking that I'm like, you know, fire Vrabel guy. I'm not, I'm just looking ahead. I don't, there's not a whole lot of reason to be confident and I think there is reason to be very skeptical and think. I mean, working in their favor is the fact that the AFC South still stinks and it's going to be worse this year because the Colts aren't going to be super good unless they get a quarterback somehow. But I, I could see the Titans going eight and eight. Yeah, so can I. But let me be the optimist here, which never happens. Never. So they they won 11 games this past year. Granted, it probably didn't reflect how they actually played, although it did reflect how the offense played. They won 11 games, and that's with having one of the worst defenses literally in NFL history. That's not happening again. Like, that would be a surprise if they repeat last year's defensive performances. One, because this, is, this will be Shane Bowen's second year, and usually – coordinators in their second years do better uh than their you know debut seasons uh 
Two, they still have talent. Three, I'm assuming John Robinson realizes that they need more talent on that side of the ball, specifically uh, at edge rusher and on the defensive line. So they will add pieces there. So if you just bring the defense back to, I don't know, 22nd best in the NFL, 20th best in the NFL, they should be fine. They should win 9 to 11 games again. And this is me being optimistic because I, I still think they're probably going like 8 and 8 next year because the coaching staff, I have no trust in them. But they're really not too many pieces away from being an elite team. Uh, by the way, a really good offense and like the 22nd best defense in football is basically just grabbing the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, yeah, that's true. Except we don't have Mahomes. But. I, I will say this. With a good offseason, I think I, my worries go out the window. If they can get a, a blue chip player or two like we've been talking about, which I think needs to happen, whether it's through the draft or free agency or a trade, go get someone's who are going to help this football team now, now I'm not one of these people that's like you're in your Super Bowl window and you've got it. I don't. I don't believe in that. I think any team can win the Super Bowl any year if you have you know a quarterback and an offensive line and a pass rush. Um, so I, I'm not sitting here saying they're in their window and they got. But last year was so bad on defense and such a disappointing end, based on as we've talked about how good the offense was. Go save yourselves in the offseason. I'm not saying you got to be win the offseason you know you gotta go sign everybody but calculate your moves john robinson and get some players who are going to really really help this team not reclamation projects not guys who don't put up stats but oh we like him because he knows the coach and he's a good athlete impact players And that might happen. We don't know. Like, we, like we've like we said before, this last offseason was off-brand for John Robinson. It just felt weird. It didn't feel like his normal offseason, especially, I mean, in free agency and the draft, like we had seen in the past, which had been really good to this point. So we should probably assume that he will get back to some of those vintage drafts, draft picks, some of those vintage free agency signings that actually work out. And if he does that, which he should, the time should be fine going forward. But, I mean, it's a big if for sure. Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of talked about the COVID offseason and how that was so weird and how hands-on John Robinson is with his draft picks and how Other teams maybe did okay. some, not, I mean, not a lot. I mean, the guys that picked in the top 10 did good that, you know, good for them, but it's not like there were a lot of stacked draft classes you know, was there a conversation for defensive player of the year? Like, I don't think so. The, the conversation for offensive player of the year was Justin Herbert versus, uh, Justin Jefferson. I mean, who, rook, you know, we all love rookie anyway. of the year. 
yeah, like offensive rookie of the year and defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's not like it was a robust conversation where it was like, there's so many good rookies, it's so hard to pick from. Like it was, there were three or four good players that came out of the draft, like that were clear standouts. And then the rest of the guys were, you know, good fits here and there. But it, you know, it wasn't like it was the Darius Leonard, like that, that year where I think it was Darius Leonard and Jack Conklin and some other guys. And it was like a big youth movement of guys making the pro bowl and all pro list. But uh, my, my point is that last year in free agency, they were hamstrung because they were trying to sign a quarterback and trying to figure out how to value Derek Henry and, you know, the complications that went on with that. And we've talked about how he wasn't a featured back until 2019 and they had to make the decision on, okay, is he really this guy or is he more the guy he showed for the first three years? Like that was a real conversation that people forget that we had because we, I mean, we didn't know. We'd only seen it for 16 games or 17 games in a row at that point, going back to those playoffs. So, you know, that was a tougher decision than people remember. And also Tannehill, the same thing, like they had to decide how much value he was worth. So they had to make sure they nailed those decisions, which they did. And then free agency, it's like, okay, how much money do we have left and what do we do? So that was a difficult free agency period in general. Plus, I think in their their mind the whole time they thought Jadavian Clowney was a given, and eventually he was, but that closed off edge you know, in the first round, and whether it should or shouldn't have, that's an argument for a different time because if it works out, you're like, well, imagine if they didn't waste a first-round pick on an edge because they had Clowney and they played him so much. In, you know, uh, The point of this is it was such a weird offseason that you have to assume that all those anomalies – sort of go out the window when everything gets back on track this year with what happened for the first three or four years of John Robinson's career. Let's transition away from the doom and gloom. Well, I don't know. This actually might still be doom and gloom. I want to talk about a former Titan that played the Super Bowl, kicker Ryan Suckup. Uh, Suckup had a great year for the Buccaneers, kicked well in the Super Bowl. Let me say this, though. Anybody acting like that was a big middle finger to the Titans or, man, the Titans, imagine if the Titans had held on to him. No. The Titans had to move on from suck-up. They had no choice. The Titans in 2019 were one of the NFL's all-time historical worst kicking teams. Suck-up couldn't get a touchback, couldn't make extra points. I remember he got one blocked, but the dude just stuck his hand up because he had such a bad trajectory. It was a nightmare for Suckup. I would have berated the Titans if they had not moved on from Suckup. And it is mostly luck that he worked for the Buccaneers. So before you come at John Robinson with your Suckup hindsight argument, just stop, please. Glad to see him do well, though. He's a really nice guy. He was great for the Titans for years. Good to see him turn it around, but it was never going to be with the Titans. Yeah, that, and that's ridiculous. Like, he was coming off that injury, yeah, but he also was awful when he was playing. Like, And he had been here for so long that it just seemed like the end of a cycle. I think most people probably, especially after that season's performance by him, they would have cut him also. Like, But I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to see him killing it, and he hit that— he nailed that kick. Uh, it was like 50-plus yards, I think. It was a pretty big kick in the game, actually. 
Uh, I don't remember at what point it happened, but it was very clutch. And and I'm glad uh, he was able to get that Super Bowl ring against his former former team, no less. Yeah, like all you have to do is look at the stats and look at how old he was and how much money they could save by cutting him. And then also realize that right now Tennessee is just where kickers go to end their career terribly. Like it's, you know, it's what they've done the last two years. And I don't know what the formula for that is or why that happens, but you know, whether it's injury or just losing your mojo or whatever, it's been a tough place to kick for the last few years. One other topic before we get to stop the nonsense Oh, this might be a bit of a preview stop the nonsense because it is some nonsense. Apparently, there's a battle happening for Carson Wentz's services. The Philadelphia Eagles have been taking trade offers on their broken quarterback from the Colts and the Bears. The Bears, who reportedly offered a first, a third, and Tariq Cohen. Am I correct with that? That's the rumor. Oh, and Nick Foles, too, right? Sure, why not? Yeah, may, yeah, maybe it was both of them. Just weird. Well, I don't know why you would want either of those players. Tariq Cohen has been very overrated for years. Uh, but, you know, you get the one and the three for a broken quarterback. When you, you have another one in Jalen Hurts, take it. And then the Colts are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We might top that offer, apparently. Uh, I at least understand where the Colts are coming from for this reason. They have Frank Reich, who was the quarterback coach when Wentz had uh, his biggest success. Actually, no, he was the offensive coordinator when Wentz had his great success with Philadelphia. So, you know, going to that prior relationship might be a worthwhile avenue toward getting Wentz back to the level of play that we've seen before from him. However, there's been a video making the rounds on Twitter today a cut-up of some interceptions Carson Wentz threw last year. And, I mean, I admit, I don't watch the Eagles play much. I don't have time to, and they're in the NFC. This like, Blaine Gabbert-level stuff. Like, I'm sitting here watching it right now. I mean, he's just throwing them up. Horribly inaccurate. Awful decisions. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that there's much fixing to be done here. No, and the right angle is, is really the only thing because if you've watched Wentz over the past couple of seasons, especially this past season, this past season was brutal, man. And that video showcases the worst throws, but he was even worse on uh, on the game-to-game basis. And he just seems broken. He has no confidence. He has no feel for the quarterback position. I understand reclamation projects are pretty popular in the NFL, but this doesn't seem like one that will really do much good to either either side. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's hard because, you know, we talk about broken quarterbacks and stuff, and it's, it's hard after seeing Tannehill do such a 180 in his career, but – Tannehill wasn't a guy who was broken and throwing interceptions and just looked lost out there. He just couldn't stay healthy, and his contract was too much from a team that was looking to move on under a new regime. Like it, it's I don't know. It's not it's not a crazy thing to think that some quarterbacks can rebound, but that it doesn't mean that every quarterback just needs a change of scenery. But yeah, like I mean, Wentz just looked bad. I think he led the league within in interceptions. I don't know if y'all said that. Like. 
he's had at least seven interceptions every year in his career, which is not necessarily a ton, but he's also not a high volume scorer either. Like he's only had more than 30 touchdowns once in his five year career. So, I mean, I don't know, like his NEA is not great. He gets sacked a lot because he holds the ball and he drifts around and he's, he's one of those guys who is athletic enough to move around and run, but isn't decisive enough to do it all the time. So, I mean, I would, I would love it if they would, spend a first round pick on them. And the rumor now is that the Eagles want two first round picks and the bears are like, well, we don't think he's worth that. And the Colts are like, well, we don't either, but they're also both still very much in the hunt. So maybe it ends up being a first and a second or a first this year and a second next year, whatever it's got to be for them to overpay, to get a quarterback. Who's not very good. Who's owed a lot of money. I'm, I'm all on board with. They're desperate. Colts are. They've got no more options. I mean, what? It, it, let's say they don't get Wentz. What's their plan? Apparently, get Matt Ryan, but that's probably not happening. I don't know why the Falcons would give him up. Yeah, and um, and I think they would eat so much dead cap that they would have to give up. The Colts would have to give up like three first round picks to get Matt Ryan. Yeah, it. Run it back with Jacoby. Yeah, uh, gosh. That's a great way to be seven and nine. I can see it now. All right, guys, let's end as we always do with stop the nonsense where we call out nonsense either in or outside of the sports world. I will start it off because I've got a doozy today. I sent this to you guys earlier today. Marty Schottenheimer, former NFL coach, passed away. He had had, I believe, Alzheimer's for several years and there were reports a week or two ago that his health was sort of quickly deteriorating, and he uh, passed away the other day. This is the headline of an obituary that the Washington Post ran. Obituary. This is not like a column. You know, this is not in the sports section. This is not a column where some guy's looking back at his legacy. This is the obituary. Marty Schottenheimer. NFL coach whose teams wilted in the postseason dies at 77. Good Lord. It's ridiculous. I, mean, I can't. Yeah. I honestly can't believe it's even real, but it is. You, you sent us that earlier today, and I thought, like, like Matthias said, I thought it was fake. I was like, ah, I can't believe somebody's spoofing this. Or it was like an Onion article yeah. kind of thing. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, somebody was just like, I think the only way somebody will know who I'm talking about is if I, is if I include this. Like, I, Will Brinson, who I love, is the person that put that on my timeline. And the first comment is someone that said, is this real? And Will said, I can assure you I'm not in the business of photoshopping Washington Post obituary headlines. And then the next comment is from Chris Long, the uh, former Eagles and Patriots player, who just said, what the F? <laughs> God, that's brutal. Um, mine's a little bit more lighthearted and I guess also a little angry. Uh, so mine is just this general love affair with Sam Darnold. It started off a couple of weeks ago when Mel Weird, Kiper, right? Well, Mel Kiper and Todd McShay, which I've talked about it before, is you know, listen to them or don't, whatever, but just don't don't take what they say to heart. But they were talking about, you know, but this was before the head coaching hires got made. And they said, well, if both of them were on the market, would you rather have Deshaun Watson or Sam Darnold? And I was like, 
oh, this is like the stupidest question I've ever heard. And they they both basically said, well, if Watson's going to cost you three first-round picks and Darnold's going to cost you a late first, maybe a second, I would rather have Darnold, mm-hmm. which is just insane to me because Darnold's terrible and he's always been terrible. But, you know, okay, like maybe it's a guy that they know back from a USC. Like maybe they have friends, you know, maybe they're agents or friends or whatever. Move on. But now there's reports out, and Tony Pauline is the one I'm looking at now, uh, who in his kind of quarterback trade rumor roundup thing uh, has a section that says, is it a mistake to trade Sam Darnold? And he, he says, quote, there are a number of, number of people in the league who feel it would be a mistake for the Jets to trade Darnold. As I reported as far back as November, teams still believe Darnold will be a quality starter in the league if coached properly, which is just insane because he's been in the league for so long and he's never been good ever. Like he's consistently been bad and not raised the level of play of those around him. And whether real or perceived, there's this, habit that people have of just sticking to well I liked him coming out of the draft so the problem the reason why he's bad isn't because I'm misevaluated it's because he doesn't have a good coach but he's been through two coaches already like he's about to be on his third coach and they'll just make more excuses for him so you know maybe they're trying to drum up trade value and maybe he'll get traded for a first round pick too since every quarterback's getting traded this offseason but it, truly, it is nonsense for people who think that Sam Darnold is a good quarterback. And if he turns out to be good, it's not because you're right and I'm wrong. It's because it's sheer luck. Two two things. One, the noise that everyone listening to the podcast just heard. I got a phone call through my computer, which is why you heard that noise. And I can't edit it out because of the way that we record this. Secondly, is watching TV for football analyst analysis a thing people do? I cannot think of the last time that I turned on cable TV to listen to sports analysis other than like, you know, maybe the NFL Today pregame show. I don't. I do not enjoy it at all. I don't know about other people. The only thing I do is I'll listen to like radio shows, like local stuff, you know, midday, back when that was a thing, or like I'll watch – like the cut-ups on, you know, Rich Eisen's show or Dan Patrick or something like that. I think that the only time you should even consume sports media is if it's a team-specific thing. Because at the very least, you trust that those people watch the one team they're covering and that they know about that team. Because a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, and all the people who have to talk about all 32 teams – they, they don't – it's not enough hours in the day to watch 32 teams and comprehensively understand. Like, so they get a dusting of highlights and then talking points and move on, and there's no critical analysis there. Like, if you're not consuming team-specific content, you're either being tricked or you're just finding people who agree with you to read. Yeah, it's also like the Josh Rosen thing. It happened for years where people were just convinced that he could be that guy, even though he was never that guy. Uh, and also, Darnold is 23 years old. That's probably what's what's getting people. They're like, oh, he's still really young. Maybe he'll figure it out. But that never seems to actually never seems to actually happen. 
So I'll do my uh, stop the nonsense. It's not about football. Actually, it's about the NBA, who for years was really the upstanding organization in terms of uh, in terms of the major sports uh, in the USA. They just always seem to do things right. Uh, they always seem to make the right decisions. But a couple of days ago, they had one of the worst sequences I have ever seen any organization have. So Kevin Durant, you know, star player for for the Nets, he is ruled out, ruled out of the game because he had a close contact uh, who had an inconclusive COVID test. So he gets ruled out. Then the game starts, and they say that he is available to play uh, off the bench. So he misses the start. He can't start because they ruled him out. Then they say he's available available to play so he comes off the bench then midway through the game they say that he's out for the remainder of the game they literally came out and they pulled him out of the game and he wasn't able to play the rest of the game it's it's it 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 was the most baffling situation i had ever seen and it was just an absolute disaster not only from a pr standpoint just from a logic standpoint like what are you doing, man? Like, what? What is this? I mean, from me, who very—I'm not a big basketball fan, although I, you know, definitely know who Kevin Durant is and saw the story. Like, number one, why was he available to come off the bench but not start? I mean, this reminds me of the Des Bryant thing, although this is much worse than that was. Like, and like, he, he, let's say he. Let's say you get a test back mid-game that he has COVID. I mean, the damage is done at that point, right? So how they explained this was that he was initially held because the result was being reviewed. But they do not require a player to be quarantined until a close contact has a confirmed positive test. But the test was inconclusive. Then during the game, the positive result was returned for the person that he had interacted with that afternoon. So once that test was confirmed positive, they pulled him out of the game. At the best, the best uh, part of that quote, out of an abundance of caution. Yeah, because they were being so cautious with the whole situation. Let me tell you. And see, that has been my whole thing with the coronavirus since the very beginning. It's like. You know, we need to take measures, obviously. You know, we need to wear masks. We need to social distance, of course. But, like, at a certain point, you start to either, A, dive into the realm of crazy land with with the restrictions, or, B, you start doing stuff that doesn't actually help anything just to make yourself feel better. You know, like, I don't know that the shower curtains at the Waffle House are doing a whole lot to stop the spread of coronavirus. Things like that, you know? Yeah, I mean... I think that every sports league thought they had a plan. And then once you have to actually put it in practice, it you realize it's like, oh, everybody didn't actually read the rules. So it's like they should he should never have gone, you know, he should never have been allowed to play at all because of the testing and the timing and all that. But it's like you're gonna have some hiccups, but if you're gonna have hiccups, have hiccups on the side of caution like at least for the first you know uh, you know since they did it in the bubble this is the first time they're doing it out in the real world like 
at least err on the side of caution at the beginning of the season. Like there should never be a time where it's like, well, we're pretty sure he's okay to play. So we'll do it. Like that's the part that drives me crazy. Mm. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. This was a fiery episode. Uh, certainly lots of negativity for me, which is not always uh, common. But we thank you for listening. We'll be back probably next week, I would assume so. Uh, so until then, for Matias and Will, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.